Good morning, everyone. Happy eighth day of Christmas. Um, did anyone get eight milks of uh, eight maidens milking this morning? Uh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one who missed out. Uh, you know, sometimes after Christmas, I feel like I need a do-over, right? I go in, Advent starts, and I'm like, this is the year I'm going to really focus on Jesus. And then it goes crazy. And all the things that you have to do, and, and again, buying all the presents and doing all that, things go crazy, and I go, man, I missed my opportunity. Well, good news, you get a second chance as we celebrate Epiphany this morning. A second chance to pause and, and look and say, what is so special and what is so amazing about Jesus revealing himself? about him, the incarnation, about him coming as a baby. We get to spend some time looking at a story that happened after Christmas, but we often link it together with Christmas to really reflect on the amazingness of Christ's birth. So let's dive into that story together. We are in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not returned to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for that another opportunity to reflect on the miracle of the incarnation, the wonders of you coming to earth as a baby. Lord, as we reflect, prepare our hearts in worship, and as I preach your word, may it go out. May it not come back empty. But may your glory spread to the ends of the earth. We pray these in your name. Amen. So we know pretty much nothing about these magi. And uh, Matthew is really no help at all. Like it, from in about two sentences, 
we go from Joseph having a dream to Keith Mary. The baby is born. He goes, oh, by the way, we're the kids in Bethlehem right now. And then Magi show up and say, hey, we saw a star. And we know that that means it's the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he? And that is it. We think that the word magi is very specific. We think it, it's a very specific class of prophets and astrologers out of Persia. But we're not 100% sure. We know they're from the east, but we're not 100% sure. And we have absolutely no idea how they got this prophecy, how they knew that this star meant a king of the Jews would be born. We have no idea. We can guess. I mean, we can look back to the, the original one, Abraham, who came from the east, too, out to Canaan. And, and we can look and we can say, hey, this might be where they found him because in the calling of Abraham, God gave hope for the nations. God called Abraham and said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So maybe somebody from Abraham's time wrote this down. Maybe it was Moses' time. Because right in the very middle of the plagues, God tells Moses that he will keep plagues coming. He will harden Pharaoh's heart so more plagues will come so that the nations would know that he is God and be awe of his power. When he brings them to Mount Sinai, he says to them, because all the nations of the earth are mine, I am making you a kingdom of priests to serve the nations. And of course, what's interesting about Moses is not Moses himself, but a guy named Balaam. You all know the story of Balaam. Balaam was the guy who spoke to the donkey. The donkey said, why are you hitting me? And he says, because you are horrible at doing your job. That was the conversation. And, but God opened his eyes at that moment to see an angel with a sword to keep him from going and cursing Israel. And God tells Balaam, don't say anything but what I tell you to do. And so Balaam goes, and for four times, the king of Moab gets Balaam to make his prophecy. Four times. And the last one, Balaam says this. It's not now. I see it coming. Soon there will come a star out of Judah and a scepter out of Israel. So maybe that prophecy to the Moabites spread about that star coming out of Judah. Or maybe it came from the first kings of Israel. Maybe it came when Solomon and his wisdom was spreading and people, even the queen of Sheba, came to go hear about Solomon's wisdom. And the temple was built. And as they were building the temple, as they were dedicating the temple, God spoke and said, this will be the place where the nations can come in prayer. And if they come here in prayer and repent, I will hear them. Maybe it's there. 
Or my personal favorite, my personal opinion is I think it came through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they were in that same class. They would have been among the Magi. And they would have come with this hope of a Messiah King to come to restore Israel, but their hope was much bigger than the restoration of Israel. He believed Daniel was looking forward to that Messiah who would come, who would bring peace to every single nation. And every single nation would now come to Jerusalem to worship the one true God through the king, through this coming Messiah. And maybe Daniel's hope got spread among the Magi there. And they wrote it down for five, six hundred years later for these Magi to find and read. We have no idea what God orchestrated so that the Magi would know to come. But what we do know and what we do see is that God's heart has always been for the nations. In every story of Israel, at the key points, God pauses to remind them, my heart is for every single people group. I want every tribe, tongue, and nation to know me. I love them. I want them. Which leads us to the question about our own hearts. Do we have same heart that God has for the nations. And I know many of you do. Many of you go to Honduras every year. Many of you uh, have a great heart for Haiti and spend so much energy uh, to support and pray for Haiti. Many of you are supporting missionaries even beyond giving to the church. Many of you are doing great. But you know, uh, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. So I think all of our hearts can grow more and more to find that heart that God has for the nations. And I want to encourage you to look into two resources that can help you grow your heart for the nations. And both will help you pray for the nations so that your heart can be like God's heart. The first is a book called Operation World. And Operation World is, is kind of collected by missionaries, and they give some information about the country and ways that you can pray. So you can use it every single day to get some heart. It, the second one is joshuaproject.net. joshuaproject.net. And that one focuses on unreached people groups, those who don't have any Bible in their own language, those who don't have any church services in their own language, no churches in their culture. And they will send you an email every day if you sign up with a new unreached people group for you to pray for. So I encourage you as you start your New Year resolutions to add going through Operation World or add signing up for the joshuaproject.net so that you can pray and develop a heart for the nation. Well, the story picks up, and, and the rumors got to have been spreading. This large group, probably more than three, of, of foreigners 
are here in Jerusalem. They're looking for the Messiah, the Christ, and, and the word is starting to spread. People are, are starting to get excited. And, of course, the scribes come in, and they know the answer to where the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Herod goes, uh, you know, go, go find them and come tell me. So the Magi go, as the star is rising up in the sky, it rests over the house where Jesus is. They go and they get to have an encounter with Jesus. They get to experience Christ. They bow down and worship him. And then they go home. And as, every time I read the story, I go, wow. What drove the Magi to make this long, long journey? And I was especially thinking about that as I was flying back from California. I got to go to my family in California for Christmas, and I got to spend a great amount of time with them. But of course, you know, I'm trying to save money for this and trying to make it as cheap as possible. So I found the cheapest airline. And they, of course, charge for extra bags. So I stuffed like 10 days of clothes in a small backpack. And I went out there. And I did not think about the fact that I would have Christmas presents I'd have to take back. So my bag is already overstuffed. So I'm trying to figure out. So I settled on wearing like five layers of clothes to get, <laughs> to get back. And uh, so I'm wearing five layers of clothes. I'm sitting in the aisle seat, getting bumped by every single person that goes by in the most uncomfortable chairs with my backpack under the front seat so I can't stretch out my legs. And I am thinking, I love my family, but I'm not sure it is worth this flight. <sighs> but the Magi, they went on camels for months and months to visit, to see the Christ. You know, what drove them? And that question is especially uh, driven by the two foils that we have. A uh, King Herod who saw Jesus as a threat. And all these people who heard that these foreigners were here to see the Messiah, that they had saw a miraculous star, who knew exactly where Jesus was, where Bethlehem was a short trip. None of them followed the Magi to see the Messiah. Something incredible drove the Magi. And if you think about it, we probably are closer to Herod closer to those scribes than we are to the Magi. If you're a Christian, a fact of your Christian life is that Jesus demands, is going to demand something of you that is a threat to yourself. It's going to be a threat to what you want to do. It's going to be a threat to the way you want to live. It is going to be a sacrifice because that is the way Jesus works. Jesus always demands sacrifice. He always demands something from you. And if I was to be honest, man, it's a, been a long time 
since I've given up something to serve my Lord. Maybe my heart is more like Herod when I'm pushing against Jesus' claims on my life, seeing it as a threat. And you know, I come to church every Sunday. I have to get up extra early. I, I come and, and sometimes I just go through the motions, right? Have you ever just realized you went through the motions? And, and it's amazing because here is this wonderful chance to encounter Jesus. Jesus is, is here waiting to, be, to embrace you. He is at the door knocking, and, and here we are bored. Maybe my heart is more like the scribes. Maybe, maybe it's time. I went on my knees and I cried out to the Father, give me the heart of the Magi. Give me that drive to find an encounter with Jesus and to experience him that I would do whatever Maybe we all need to make that prayer. We all need to make that cry of desperation. Give us the heart of those magi. Now, if this was before Christmas, we want it to be a happy story. We want this story to fill us with joy. So we don't tell the end of this story. But in Epiphany, we're going to tell the end of this story. Because the story takes a very, very dark turn. Herod realizes that the Magi aren't coming back to tell him the location of the Messiah. So he gets his army and he sends them into Bethlehem to kill every single baby boy. And Jesus barely escapes. God gives Joseph a dream late in the night, telling him to flee to Egypt. And so Joseph gathers Mary and Jesus, and they run, not taking anything they had with them. They raced off into Egypt. And in Bethlehem, there's a great weeping and wailing for this great evil that Why does this story say, take such a dark turn? Why does it go this way? What is going on? Well, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to realize that Jesus chose this situation. Because Jesus is God, he is the only one who got to choose exactly how he was going to be born, exactly the experience that he was going to have. Jesus chose this because he wanted to identify himself among those who are poor, among those who are oppressed, among the refugees. And if we build our ethics based on our Christology, 
if we decide how we're going to live based on how we believe, then we have to start with refugees. We have to start with the poor. We have to start with the question, how do I identify myself with refugees? How do I sacrifice so that they can have more? That has to be the start of our effort. Because that is where Jesus started his life. But more than that, more than that, we get our clue of why Jesus let this story go so dark from Matthew himself. As he is interpreting this event, two scriptures come to his mind. The first comes from Jeremiah 31, and in that, Jeremiah is contrasting the hurt and the pain everyone is experiencing through the Babylonian captivity, through the exile, and the weeping in the morning with the joy of the restoration to come. That story is Israel's story in a nutshell. Where they are, their darkness, with the, the finishing touch, the joy, and the restoration that is to come. And second, he goes to Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it talks about how Israel's story, and God says, out of Egypt I have called my son. And God tells the story of Israel, of how he is constantly calling out to them, and they are constantly rejecting his call. Another story about Israel. So what Matthew is doing right here is he is saying, Jesus is fulfilling Israel's story. He is entering into Israel's story. He is reenacting their story so that he can complete their mission. He is going to be the place where all the nations come to worship. He is going to be the one through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. He is the one who's going to bring peace to the whole world. He is going to complete Israel's story. What is remarkable about that is he chose to enter, he chose to interact in Israel's darkest moments. The moments where a king decides to kill off baby boy. The moment of their exile and their pain and their longing. Jesus came to bring light into their darkest Jesus was going to fulfill Israel's story. And he was going to begin where they were the saddest and darkest. Now, I don't know about you, but I was not particularly energetic about this new year. I realized that 2022 sounds like a lot like 2020 also. And... Uh, I, I was worried, you know. I kind of want to see the terms and conditions before I sign up for this new year. And, and for many of you, you might be feeling the same thing because you're going, this, this is it. This is our darkest moment. This is the dark moment where Jesus must show up. But I have news for you. We are not in the darkest moment. We are not in the darkest state of your story. Many of you got to do some New Year's resolutions. You, you said, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to live better. This is going to be a new year. And you made some resolutions. 
And whatever you resolved, you saw something dark in you, you saw something you wanted to change in you, and you said, that's it. That's my darkness that I want to change. But I guarantee you, whatever you saw, whatever caused you to make that resolution, is not your darkest state. It's not your darkest moment. Here's what the Bible, here's what Ephesians 2 says your darkest moment is. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You walk according to the prince of the power of the air. You are by nature children of wrath. And Ephesians 2, a little bit later, picks up and says, You are strangers and foreigners. You are aliens to the covenant of promise. You are without hope, without God in the world. That is the darkness that Jesus chose to enter. The darkness of your sin. And at the end of Jesus' life, he gave this picture to us to say where he's entering. He took up bread and he broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. I am going to die the death you deserve. I'm going to experience the wrath that you deserve. I am going to enter and take on your sin so that you might have life. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. I am going to come and when you were aliens, when you were separated from my covenant promise, I'm going to make covenant with you so that you can have a new life but I'm going to do it through my sacrifice through entering your darkness now in a moment Pastor Chris is going to come and he's going to lead us in reenacting that of breaking the bread of drinking the cup but before that I want us to reflect on that heart of the Magi. Because Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, whenever you do it, remember me. He's saying, whenever you do it, I am going to be there. I am going to be here with open arms saying, come, encounter me, experience my grace, experience my love, experience what I did for you. In the Lord's Supper, we get to have an encounter with Christ. We get to say we are sorry for our sins. We get to say, I receive that grace that you have. I receive the light in the darkness of my sins. And we get to do that every single communion. And so I'm going to pray, and I hope that you pray along, that we would have a heart like the Magi, that would rush forward to experience this encounter with Christ, to feel his love and grace, that we wouldn't see it as an affront to what we want, that we wouldn't be bored by it, but that we would have a true encounter with Christ.
let's pray and then Pastor Chris will come up. Dear Jesus, thank you that you entered in our darkness. You entered in the darkness of our sin. You took on our sins to make us whole. And Lord, as we reenact that right now, we pray that you would grow our faith, that as we encounter your love and grace, that our hearts would be like the Magi, just pursuing it, just feeling that we want that encounter, that we would be restored and renewed. And we pray these things in your name.